0: What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelka TIS podcast with your host, yours Shirley Jai Shields, here on this January the 12th, January the 13th, whatever day you may be listening. Nice to have you with us, this the year 2022, uh, part two of the week 18 recap, so to speak. He, I told you guys uh, with about what 24 hours ago that I wasn't done. There was so much that went down in week 12 that you that I couldn't fit it into. Uh, I couldn't fit it into one episode, so you had to like you know break it off in like a two-part uh, piece for you. I got Brandon Staley. I wanted to sound off and give you my two cents on him uh, on the Brandon Staley and the Chargers and Raiders game. Gave my two cents on the on the. LA Rams blowing a seventeen point lead to Division Raffles San Francisco. And I also want to get into Carson Wentz and the Indian, the Carson Wentz and Indianapolis Colts collapsing down in Jacksonville and Brian Flores un, unjustly getting canned as the head coach. Of the uh, Miami Dolphins on Monday that I uh, you know that I knew about of course on Monday but wanted to push back until the part two of this recap because I wanted to get the games and all the other stuff as far as playoff impl- implications out of the way before we before we delve deep into some off the field uh, some off the field uh, machinations but. I mean, first off, before we get into Stanley, before we get to the uh, before we get to the L.A. Chargers, let me just say, I've been a football fan since, uh, and I've watched the sport religiously since 06, 06, 07, um, and I have, you know, seen just about every big game, you know, in the 21st century since 06 to this point, I've watched the sport. All my life, thereabouts, I have been around it. I've gone to games, high school, college, NFL, flag. Uh, you know, played Madden along with everybody else has. You know, that's a millennial or younger played the Madden, the Madden video game, of course. Uh, you know, seen, watched, seen games on television a thousands, to, thousands of times. I played, I was fortunate enough to play varsity football on a high school level, myself, along with flag football back when I was, you know, in grade school. And let me just say that that Charger Raider game was one of the most craziest, most holy crap, what the heck am I, that is one of the greatest regular season football games I've ever seen. And it's so funny and it's so ironic because, the NFL season began with the Raiders playing in an absolute thrilling classic in their Monday night game to begin the season in Week One against Baltimore. The Charger game damn near topped it on Sunday night. I mean, you, uh, the, the Chargers or excuse me, Vegas got out to a set, got out to a ninth, got out to a ten nothing lead in the first quarter. Uh, got out to a set, got out to a. Seventeen nothing, ten nothing. Led by the end of the first quarter, by halftime at the end of the second quarter, Vegas had a seventeen to fourteen lead and had increased their lead to twenty six fourteen with uh, with about twenty seven seconds to go towards the end of the third quarter. And when you thought it was, oh, the Raiders are going to win this. Raiders are going to take control. Raiders are going to win this game. You know, it's meant for the this game is meant for the Raiders to win all of a sudden here comes Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers to just to take to take the game over and and fight back and scratch and claw and end up making it a fourth quarter and an overtime for the absolute ages let's begin first off with the fact that you know and if you saw the game from start to finish and if you either tuned into the game late or, or, uh, or went to bed early. A shame on you, and B just to give like a whole, uh, a whole recap of the game is that right from the opening quarter, and let's just begin with the opening quarter because, of course, but from the opening quarter up to about halftime, the Los Angeles Chargers <laughs> were tight as a drum, and you've seen it many a time. Many different circumstances with this team and this franchise historically, whether it's with Philip Rivers and, and North Turner with as the head coach Anthony Lynn, uh, you know, with, with Anthony Lynn, um, Mike McCoy, their old uh, their the coach that they had about ten years ago or so in the in the early two thousand tens, in between Anthony Lynn and North Turner with uh, with uh, Drew Brees there. Whether it's whether you want to go back 15, 16, 17 years ago with Drew Brees and Marty Schottenheimer, God rest his soul, it's his. It's historically, 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 with the with the Chargers, whether they're in San Diego or now in Los Angeles, that every single time you expect something from them, and it's a big game. There's playoff spots on the line you know seasons seasons continue if you win they end if you don't they always 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 end up with or end up on the short end of the stick and they always 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 come up small and in the first quarter of that football game the Los Angeles tar- Chargers were as tight tight i'm talking about Skinny jeans. I'm talking about skinny jeans on a 260-pound grown man. Tight, tight as a drum. They were tight. They were they were on edge. They were not loose. They were scared. They 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 were not ready to play. I mean, you knew it. You knew it right from the opening snap that uh, the charge is a little tight here. You you had a sense. Right from the opening get-go, that that this game may be too big, and the moment itself might be too big for for Los Angeles. The Raiders went down went down the field nine plays, sixty-one yards, kicked the field goal, went up three nothing. Chargers got the ball back, three plays, eight yards, barely took uh, barely took uh, eighty seconds off the clock, and uh, and three and went three and out. Raiders, Raiders went, th- Raiders, excuse me, went a three and out. They punt the ball, the guy, they punt the ball, the guy Johnson, fu- the guy Johnson fumbles on the punt. Raiders get the ball back at Los Angeles, set up, set up shot perfectly at the 23-yard line. Again, Raiders tight as hell right from the opening snap in the opening quarter. Raiders take advantage of that, go down the field, score a touchdown, up 10-0, uh, and then the Raiders, and then the Chargers get the ball back. 10-7 10-7 Vegas and uh, and the Chargers finally get on the board in the opening quarter. And then essentially from there the game began to snowball. Can somebody please explain to me? Okay, and Brandon Staley, who was known as a defensive, you know, guru, at least at least we thought so when he was hired. Uh, when he was hired after Anthony, after they threw Anthony Lynn to the wolves last year, can somebody please explain to me why in the world? And I was told that Anthony, that uh, Brandon Staley was a defensive genius. Can somebody please explain to me why Josh Jacobs on twenty six carries ran for a buck thirty two, twenty six carries, a hundred and thirty two rushing yards. I mean, and this is a guy that's supposed to be considered, you know, a uh, one of the game's best defensive minds in the sport, which is a, which is a crock of garbage. But can somebody please, please explain to me why Josh Jacobs had his way with the Charger defense all night? Can somebody please articulate that to me, please? I mean Brandon Staley this, Brandon Staley that now listen, I listen, I, I'm I'm raising my hand right now as I'm saying this because I happen to go look back prior to I like, came on the air today, look back and see what my season prediction was. And I, the idiot, picked Brandon Staley to be not only coach of the year, but he was gonna be one of the main reasons why the Chargers got to the playoffs. And you know, every boy wonder, Mr. Genius, from straight out of the Sean McVay coaching tree, uh, Jalen Ramsey says he's the greatest coach. He's the great one of the greatest assistant coaches Jalen Ramsey's ever played under. I mean, come on, Josh Jacobs ran rampant over Brandon Staley's Los Angeles Chargers defense. Which is one of the worst run defenses in all of the National Football League this season, all throughout this season. One of the worst in the sport at stopping the run. And this is also, mind you, after they fell asleep at the wheel at Houston a few weeks ago. And before that, when they had fallen flat on their face against Kansas City. And a game that they should have won, had all opportunities in the world to win that game, but didn't because their defense couldn't tackle Travis Kelsey. They let him and Tyreek Hill go nuts in the and Patrick Mahomes and company go nuts in the fourth quarter. Couldn't make a stop, couldn't get off the field, couldn't tackle an open field worth of crap. On top of the fact that Brandon, Brandon Staley, you know, had had a weird obsession and, and was addicted to going forward on fourth down every opportunity he got during the span of that game, back in week 14, 15, whatever it was. Had you know just gone for it every single time. And was like all of three, all of four to start the game. Tight as hell, penalties all over the place. Guy muffs a punt, gives uh gives the gives the Raiders a gift of all time, setting him up with prime field position at the charge of 23 yard line. And I and listen, I understand that, listen, I understand that the uh that the pass interference penalty, that the pass interference penalty was very du that was uh that you know that the pass interference penalty was very dubious. But I mean, but come on. I mean that this 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 is what this is what we're doing now. I understand again, very dubious, and you know the ball was no and the ball was nowhere near the ball was the ball was nowhere near the intended receiver. The ball went the ball landed out on the R of the Raiders logo in in the end zone and the and the play, the quote unquote foul occurred on the eye. So I, I, I get that. Harris should have should have never been called for that for that pass interference penalty because, because the ball was nowhere near nozu uh the Brandon, uh Brandon Carr. Uh Derek Carr's intended receiver target. But let's also keep but uh, let's also keep in mind that, that 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 pass interference penalty does not occur. If Brandon Staley again the defensive genius under the McVay coaching tree uh with uh you know the the critically acclaimed coach according to uh Jalen Ramsey that penalty does not happen if his defense does not give up a it doesn't give does not allow a give up draw play on third and 23 at Vegas's own 35 yard line a give up draw play that i mean they, that's that's a wave the white flag we're giving up on this drive we're not taking any chances we're not going to give the ball back with a short field we're giving up wave the white flag get a couple yards see what you can get get down get tackled keep the clock moving so we can so we can either run out the half or give los angeles the ball back with as little time as possible but what the Staley's defense his pathetic Run defense do, gives up a draw play on 3rd and 23. I mean, that is just completely, completely unacceptable. I mean, you, the, these, these guys were, I mean, was, was a playoff spot not on the line? A playoff spot was on the line here. Week 18, Sunday night football, in front of America. Playoff spots are there to be won and lost, and your defense, Brandon, gives up a 3rd and 23. Really? 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 And again, the pass interference penalty was a dubious, was a horrendous, egregious call. But don't get it twisted. The 3rd and 23 conversion comes first. The pass interference penalty comes shortly thereafter. If the 3rd and 23 gets stopped and the Raiders only get three yards, four yards, five yards, six yards, 17 yards, 20 yards, the pass interference penalty does not happen. We're not discussing it. We're not talking about it. It, It's flat out up and down doesn't exist. If the the Chargers defense finds a way to get off the field on third and 23. Furthermore, can somebody... Somebody, please! I'm begging you. Can some? It's just like that old Queen song, "Find Me Somebody Love." Can somebody find me an explanation, please? Can somebody please, ex- please find me an explanation? Why in the world the Chargers decided to go for it on fourth and one from their own eighteen-yard line? It is fourth. I understand, for you know, I understand the the well. And, and please, Mr. Kevin Cash of the NFL, miss me with the well. If you go for it on fourth and six or fourth and five and fewer, you know the book tells you that you should. In the analytics state, it with with the data and the, and the and the numbers and the and the statistics say if it's fourth and four, fourth and three, fourth and two, fourth the one you should go for. It. The hell with the analytics, throw them out. Get rid of them. Throw them out. I don't care what the book says. I don't care what the book tells you. I could care less about about the analytical data, the numbers, the probability. Bunch of garbage. All right? You have the ball inside your own 20 yard line, down three points. You punt the football. It came with 10. That that play happened. That play occurred with 8.57 in the third quarter. Not 57 seconds left in the fourth. Not 207 left in the fourth when the game's on the line. Early third quarter, down by three. You're inside your own 30 yard line. 30, 25, 20 yard line. You have the ball at your own 18. Punt the frickin' football. I understand it's fourth and one, but punt the freaking football. They go for it on fourth and one. They give the ball off to Eckler. Eckler doesn't get it. And Staley got the break of all time. Now, I didn't you know, come right out and, and Airborne on social media killed Staley for the decision, and rightfully so. But if you saw my tweet, I tweeted right after the Raiders drive was over. I said, Brandon Staley, among other things, is lucky as hell that, that, the, that all the Raiders got out of it was a field goal. And they only took foot, and you know it was a short, quick drive, four plays, four yards, 49 seconds went off the clock, and they kicked the field goal to make it to make it 20 to 14. Because they would have scored a touchdown, Raiders would have been, excuse me, the the Chargers would have been down by would have been down 24 14, and Brandon Sealey wouldn't have heard the end of it. But even still, what are you doing? He got the break of all time that they kicked the field goal. But it didn't matter in the long run because the Chargers get the ball back, three plays, they don't gain a yard, 92 seconds off the clock, they give the ball right back to the Raiders who went up and down the field and scored a touchdown, 13 plays, excuse me, 83 yards, touchdown, they go up 26-14. I mean, it's just uh, the the decision-making. And then, how about, how about when they scored the touchdown? They scored the touchdown to make it tw- to make it a 29-20 game? What in the world are you doing, Brandon Staley, going for two? Can somebody explain to me what your thought process was and going for two? What are you doing? It's 20, it's, I mean, come on, man. Come back to me, please. Going for two. I mean, it's just, with 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 428 to go in the fourth quarter, I said it after the Raven game, I'll say it again. In that situation where you know you're going to have to go for two later in the game, go for it later in the game. Don't try to script the game. Don't try to predict what's going to happen. Don't put the cart before the horse. All right? You score the touchdown, kick the extra point, and when the time comes for you to go for two to tie the game up, you go for two to tie the game up at that point in time. You do it then. You don't you don't try to predict the game or try to script it and try to say well if we go for two here early on the front end we go ahead and we stop them there then we get the ball back go to the, then it'll end up working you don't do it that way going for twos too risky too risky because then if you don't get it what happens Raiders get the ball back allows them to work the clock. You're down by a couple of scores. Game, unless you get a miracle of miracles and recover the onside kick, the game, more times than not, 90%, it's out of reach, and the game's over. And, you know, Brandon Staley, who was up there and was hell-bent, hell-bent after the Charger game, or excuse me, after the Chief game, saying, well, this is what we do. We are who we are. We're going to take some risk." We're not, we, you know, we're going to go with the analytics, going to play, and and, and you know the 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 data geek, a la you know the, the the Kevin Cash, of the NFL. Well, this is what this is what you get. You got Justin Herbert, who is one of the most dynamic talents, one of the more trend not I wouldn't say transcendent, but one of the more dynamic talents, impressive talents, a guy who's going to be an all-time great. The second coming of Dan Marino, Dan Fouts, he's that freaking good. With Keenan Allen, Eckler, who's no scrub, Bosa, who's a decent player, a little overrated, but decent player as your edge rusher, and you missed the playoffs. I mean, really? Really? You fell asleep at the wheel against the Texans two weeks ago, and you got ran out of the building by Kansas City in the fourth quarter and in the overtime the week before that, and a game that you should have won, had not Brandon Saley gone for it on fourth and goal and on and on fourth down every opportunity he he got he got put in front of him. You got Justin Herbert. You're not in the playoffs. That's disgraceful. Considering. The place, the, considering the place he made on considering the place he made on that fo- on the fourth and ten with twenty two seconds left to keep the game alive, the all uh, the other play he made on fourth and twenty one with four twenty eight to go in the fourth quarter, Justin Herbert was freaking. He wasn't good. He wasn't great. He was heroic, phenomenal, outstanding, stupendous on Sunday night. Kept the Chargers alive and in the game on the 4th and 21 and on the 4th and 10. Kept the Chargers alive with their season on the line. And yet they don't win the game. And if that is not enough, ladies and gentlemen, if that isn't enough, the going for it at your own 18-yard line, the going for two, which you got away with, the tight play, the undisciplined play, penalties all over the place, defense can't stop the run worth the crap. If that isn't enough, can somebody explain to me in the overtime why in God's name Brandon Staley decided to call a timeout when the Raiders were playing for the tie? Can somebody ex- please explain, they played for the tie as soon as they crossed, as, they got the, as soon as they crossed midfield and realized, well, hey, they're not going to, you know, you know, why risk it, you know, why risk the turnover, why risk facing elimination and sending the Chargers into the playoffs and we stay home here in Vegas, why bother with that, they were playing for the tie. Besatje said in the postgame, you know what? We were seriously contemplating sitting on it and playing for the tie. You know, players were telling uh, Austin Eckler during the postgame handshake, we were going to sit on it and play for the tie. Justin Herbert's mouthing on the sideline. We were playing for the tie. Yet Brandon Staley calls the timeout with 38 seconds left going to go the overtime. I mean, uh, what are we doing here? I mean, could could Brandon Staley not be so out of touch with the game and what's happening in front of him before his very eyes? Could he not be more out of touch? He calls a timeout that allows the Raiders to get themselves together Calm down, get a breather, and for Rich Passaccia to say to his team, among other things, hey guys, they're dumb enough to call a timeout, let's go ahead and and really give it to them, send them home packing for the winter, send them home packing for the offseason, not have this game end in a tie, get Pittsburgh into the playoffs, and, and, and get the sixth seed in the AFC. Because they have because they had the tiebreaker over Pittsburgh, who they had beaten back at back in week two in September. And get the six get Pittsburgh in the playoffs, get the sixth seed. Cincinnati here we come. We'll send them on we'll send them on the first chartered flight on the red eye back to LAX. Because Brandon Staley was dumb enough to call a timeout left sang, sang, sit up here and had the temerity, the goal and the chutzpah to say in the postgame, well, you know, we were trying to get our personnel together. Yeah, wh- really? Wh- what? Really? Seriously? And the coup de grace to him calling the timeout right after the fact, Josh Jacobs, third and four, runs for 10 yards to put Dale Carlson in chip shot field goal range. They kick the field goal. Raiders win the game 35 32. Goodbye. Good night. See you next season, LA Chargers. I mean, Brandon Staley could not have coached that game any worse if he tried. Whether it's reaching, going for two, the going for it. On fourth down at on 18 yard line early in the fourth quarter, down by a field goal, calling the timeout, allowing the Raiders to catch their breath, giving them some positive momentum. To put themselves in a situation where they can draw up a play for Josh Jacobs again, who your defense, whom your defense had zero answers for all night long. When you when you're behind got bailed out by Justin Herbert time in and time out during the fourth quarter was absolutely abysmal. You got Justin Herbert and you don't make the playoffs, Brandon Staley? Really? After your defense collapsed. And you couldn't coach your way out of a paper bag with the ad infinitum fourth down conversion decisions in the Chief game. Had 10 days to prepare for the lowly Texans. And you got ambushed on the road. And then here it is, a do-or-die game against division rival Vegas. And your team comes up small. In spite of, in spite of Herbert's heroic play in the second half. Absolutely. Disgraceful. Same old Chargers. You can you can take the Chargers out of San Diego, but you can't take the San Diego out of the Chargers. We're back to scream about another LA team that choked. The Rams back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to the Metallica um, like TIAs podcast. From one from one LH team that underachieved in Week 18 to another, you know, uh, how about the Los Angeles Rams? I mean, my goodness gracious! I mean, you want to talk about a team that has more smoking and mares and has more fluff and more bullcrap about them than possibly any team out from out, any team in the National Football League. All I hear about is Los Angeles Rams this, Los Angeles Rams that. All I heard about when Matthew Stafford got traded for last January, how he was the he was the piece, he was the guy that was gonna take the Rams over the top. He was gonna get he was gonna be the guy that's gonna that was gonna make the Rams Super Bowl contending team a Super Bowl favorite, gonna have back to back years of of, of 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 franchises hosting a Super Bowl, the the Bucks last year against the Chiefs and and the Rams this year against Buffalo, Kansas City. And all I ever heard about is Matthew Stafford. This Matthew Stafford. That Sean McVay. Apparently, Mister Boy Wonder over there is is uh, is is essentially Lombardi. You know, who he gets talked about and is and is so beloved and charismatic. And this the oh my goodness, enough with the enough with Stafford. Enough with the Rams. And enough of uh, of Sean McVay. I mean please I I I I I can't take it anymore. When your team has a 17 to nothing lead against against the San Francisco 49 er team with Jimmy Garoppolo with a bad finger and, and you and you somehow blow it and get outscored 24 to 7 in the second half. Enough please. I understand the 49ers are no scrub, and they had pl- and there was uh, and there was playoff circumstances on the line in that game. But please, enough! You got outscored. You got outscored again, twenty-four to seven, in the second half. You were absolutely abysmal in the second half. And how about Sean McVay instead of instead of him, you know, uh, getting all hype on the field, acting, you know, acting like some twelve-year-old boy opening up his hot newest Hot Wheels set on Christmas morning in 1987. You know, how about Sean McVeigh take a chill pill, bring it down a notch, be a little bit more professional, show a little bit of a bit more decorum, calm down. And when his his players score a touchdown, not him run and sprint 80 yards down the end of the field and get about five yards into the end zone and celebrate with his players as if he's one of the 11 guys out there on the field. Sean, calm down, take it down a notch, take it easy, get your caucus back on the sidelines, get off the field, and get ready for your defense's next drive. For uh, forthcoming, af, af, you know, for during the Forty ers next possession, instead of instead of you know, if you want to be a cheerleader, put your headset down, turn in your clipboard to Stan Kroenke and his toupee, and and go out there and and join the co-ed ed uh, Los Angeles Rams cheerleading squad. You want to play cheerleader or hang it up and and, and 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 get in your car and drive from Inglewood to the OC and go watch the games with Mike in Orange County on uh, on Sunday afternoons. You're a coach, not a cheerleader. You're a coach. You can be happy and you can be all giddy as all can be when you score. Know your limits, know your place, stay on the sideline. I think that had a large part, a large part. With the San Francisco comeback, because their players saw saw their coach all giddy as all get out, and like a again like a four year old uh, child on Christmas morning, celebrating and getting all hype with his team in the end zone instead of instead of having his caucus. Facing his defense that was a sieve in the second half. Running around all over the place. Missed tackles left and right. Jalen Ramsey miss playing the ball. Debo Samuel, find, you know, finding a wide open. Jawan Jennings on a wide receiver. Reverse touchdown pass in the second half. I mean, him being more, How about McVay Be more concerned about his defense... Instead of making sure he daps up, uh, you know, Andrew Whitworth and Matthew Stafford in the end zone on a, on a nice little touchdown drive in the first half. Game's far from over, Sean, and you didn't win the Super Bowl. Take it down on us. That's item number one. Item number two how about Matthew Stafford? Now, all I hear about, again, Matthew Stafford was supposed to be the savior, the second coming for the San Francisco, for for the Los Angeles Rams franchise that was going to be the one missing focal point that they were going to have for them to take them over the top. Matthew Stafford, again, he was terrible in the Viking game. He was bad in the Raven game. And on Sunday, he was damn near pathetic. He got sacked five times. Threw two interceptions and was um, not good to put it to put it the least. He threw an asinine interception with 52 seconds left in the third quarter into double coverage that was underthrown that had absolutely zero chance zero chance of being completed, uh, and he tried, that ball had, had zero chances of being completed to Skowarnik, whatever his name is, the, uh, the wide receiver, the wide receiver threw the ball directly to Mosley, underthrown, thrown in the double coverage, had zero chance of being completed at the end of that third quarter, luckily, luckily McVay and uh, Staver got away with it because they didn't, because the 49ers did nothing with it, three plays, three yards, one oh six off the clock and Brunt. But a horrendous decision by Stafford. And how about Stafford in the overtime? And people were debating me this all Sunday and all, Well, how can you blame Stafford? You know, how about Odell Beckham Jr. Adjusted the play of the ball. Odell Beckham Jr. Didn't break his stride. You know, the offensive line play was bad. Stafford was hit as he thro- Was he, as he was thrown? Bullcrap. Nonsense. One ear and out the other. How about Stafford? Okay. Now listen. I've been critical on Odell Beckham Jr. The, you know, essentially, all, all throughout his career, I was critical of him with the Giants, critical of him with uh, with the Browns. He has an attitude like it's never his fault. It's always somebody else. It's never him. He's always injured, overrated, doesn't produce, You know, has, has played on played one playoff game and he stunk and that's when he went to go kick it with Justin Bieber down on a Miami yacht in South Beach prior to that playoff game game against the Green Bay Packers. I've been all over Odell Beckham Jr., but I can't kill him. He was magnificent. Again, he didn't blow up the stat sheet in the Ravens game. He made a clutch fourth down conversion catch that kept the drive alive in the closing seconds against the Ravens the week prior, and he caught the game-winning touchdown pass with less than 45 seconds to go in regulation against Baltimore. And then on Sunday, again, 2 of 18, he he made a nice catch to keep the drive alive early in the game for Los Angeles, and I can't can't blame him under any circumstances uh, on the on the game ceiling interception that Matthew Stafford threw. He underthrew Odell Beckham Jr. He th- if you go check out my Twitter page. I snapshotted at the play and I drew and I drew and I drew out the zone. I'm channeling my inner John Madden on the Telestrator. Drew out drew out the little zone on the field where if or if that ball is placed properly as it should have been in that zone that I drew out for you, you can check it out on my Twitter page at the J Shield. If Stafford puts the ball where that little zone that I drew out is supposed to be, in my honest opinion, on man-to-man coverage, Odell catches that ball and at the minimum gets tackled inside the San Francisco 25-yard line and it sets up uh, Los Angeles to, at, at at worst, put themselves in field goal range to tie the game up and you go into sudden death. I think best case scenario happens, Odell catches the ball, breaks free, goes into the end zone, Rams win the game and get the two seed. That's what I think happens if Stafford puts that ball on the money. Listen, again, I, I would love to kill Odell, I can't, wasn't his fault. If Matthew Stafford maybe th- maybe throws the ball and stride to where Odell Beckham Jr. is running and doesn't leave the ball up in the SoFi Stadium air for for nine million years and and and, and, throw, and chucks a lolly pop the Odell and under throws him by by fifteen yards, we're not having this conversation. Well, what happens? Stafford overthrows OBJ. Ball's intercepted. Rams lose the game 27-24. And one of the worst losses I've ever seen in Sean McVay's career. As the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams, and again, can somebody explain to me, McVay also uh, boy genius again with? Uh, I said he isn't a defensive coach, but again, McVay and all I hear about is the Ram defense. This Ram defense got Aaron Donald, S- Super Bowl MVP Von Miller, and All-Pro quarter, and Jalen Ramsey. The defense again was atrocious in the second half. Got got uh, got caught with their pants uh, got caught with their pants down around the ankles on the wide receiver reverse pass. From uh, on the wide receiver reverse pass uh, to uh, to Jawan Jennings in the second half, that I believe uh, that uh, what play was that that tied the game? What the uh, the Jawan Jennings touchdown pass from Debo Samuel, which tied the game up at seventeen apiece with a one forty six to go in the third quarter. I mean, it's just abysmal. And how about Jimmy Garoppolo? And again, here's another thing. I'm also sick and tired of listening up to here too. Listen, is, is Jimmy Garoppolo Steve Young? No, he is not. Is Jimmy Garoppolo uh, is Jimmy Garoppolo Tom Brady? No, he is not. Is Jimmy Garoppolo John Montana? No, he is not. But let's call it like we see it. Uh, and Kyle Shanahan, who give him credit, outcoached McVay in the game. But again, uh, this, Shana, Shanahan, e- even in games that Shanahan wins because of Garoppolo, he takes some hits because he's so hell-bent on, on thinking that Trey Lance is the second coming of, of Steve Young. And that obviously, at least so far at this point, is not the case. Jimmy Garoppolo played that game with a bad thumb. And drove down the field, drove down the field 88 yards in 61 seconds, and only needed five plays to do so to tie the game up at 24 apiece in the closing seconds of the fourth quarter. And Shanahan has to be fair, and he has to be honest with himself and with Garoppolo. If Garoppolo does not overthrow Emmanuel Sanders over the field, Trey Lance is not on the team, and it's not fair to a guy that has been riddled with injury and has had to wait his turn and ride the bench. It's unfair to him for his career and for him to and for his fate as the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers to be you know, to be uh decided because of one bad threat, bad pass because he overthrew Emmanuel Sanders in the Super Bowl. Where quite frankly, if Shanahan and Robert Sala's defense doesn't collapse against Mahomes and Damian Williams in the fourth quarter, also, furthermore, Trey Lance is not on the San Francisco forty nine or twenty twenty one depth chart at the quarterback position. But give Garoppolo all types of credit. And Garoppolo gets blamed for everything but the, but the Lincoln assassination. Give him credit. Bad thumb drove down the field only needed five plays and 61 seconds to do so. Drove down the field 88 yards and chalked up a, a, a tremendous chef's kiss. A tremendous game time touchdown drive. To tie the game and put the game into overtime. Tremendous drive by Garoppolo. Tremendous. Wide receivers open all over the place. Tremendous. Jawan Jennings, balled his behind off. Phenomenal job. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And again, Raheem Morris in that defense. Really? Debo, Samu- Debo Samuel. Six receptions, 107 yards. Mitchell. 21 carries, 85 yards on the ground. Debo Samuel, 8 carries, 45 yards on the ground, ran for a touchdown. Brent, excuse me, that was Brandon Ayuk that had over 100 yards receiving. Samuel, 4 receptions, 95 yards. Jawan Jennings, 6 receptions, 94 yards, and caught 2 of the game time touchdown passes. The one, the one from Samuel that tied the game up at 17, and the one from Jimmy Garoppolo that tied the game up at 24. Rams, really? Raheem Morris, McVay, Stafford, really? And again, for the Mike and the OCs of the world, here's the bo- here's the bottom line. And Cooper Cup plays behind all seven receptions, 118 yards on a touchdown catch. Here's the bottom line about Matthew Stafford. You can sit up here and quibble. Well, it's not fair. All you do is scream. All you guys do is scream me yell about the interceptions and the turnovers. Here's the bottom line. Matthew Stafford. and and the narrative that was painted with Matthew Stafford that he was not the reason why the Detroit Lions didn't win anything. It wasn't his fault. It was the fact that he played for the Ford family and the Detroit Lions have been inept and have been incompetent for the better part of the last 60-plus years. It was the Lions' fault why he never won a playoff game, not Matthew Stafford. It was meant to be that he was the answer. He was the solution. He was going to be the guy that was going to take the Rams over the top to get them to a Super Bowl. That's how the narrative was painted, and that's what Matthew Starr has been hyped up to be as as one of the game's top 10 best quarterbacks in the sport, that's an MVP candidate that's about a Super Bowl championship chip or two away from being considered a quote-unquote Hall of Fame quarterback. And I have sat up here on this program numerous amounts of times and have screamed from the rooftops the exact opposite because this is what Matthew Stafford is. I find it no coincidence What, it it was all the Lions' fault that he had Calvin Johnson there, a Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame wide receiver there for years and couldn't win a playoff game? Really? He's got Cooper Cup sitting there, and he was pathetic. Pathetic in the second half. Collapsed down the stretch. No offensive running game to speak of whatsoever. Collapsed. And all I hear about is about how Matthew Stafford is, you know, is the second coming of Kurt Warner in the flesh. I mean, give me a freaking break. I will believe it when I see it. I will apologize. I will raise my hand. I will take accountability of me being wrong when I am proven otherwise. For the time being, all I see, they didn't give him the nickname Stat Padford and one of the fantasy football's greatest quarterbacks for nothing how how all the stats and the passing yards and the passing touchdowns are a bunch of smoke and mirrors because of the fact that, that they're mostly put up in, in garbage time. That when the rubber meets the road, when games are won and lost, when playoff spots and seeding and seasons are on the line, he all, whether it's with the Lions and now so far, at least regular season-wise with the Rams, he always, always, always comes up small and makes that fatal Putrid, asinine, egregious interception that puts the nail in- into the coffin of his team's season. The problem with Magic Stafford is that he keeps both teams in the game. Keeps the team he plays for in the game, and he keeps his opponents in a game with inaccurate passes and turning over the football all over the place. If the Rams want to make a Super Bowl I better not see the Matthew Stafford I've been I've been looking at for the last three weeks. He was pathetic in the Viking game. The Raven game the following week he wasn't that much better. And last week he he, he along with McVeigh's incompetence, along with the defense that was diving, missing tackles, blowing assignments, leaving receivers wide open all over the place, with Raheem Moore's, you know, defensive extraordinaire was one of the reasons why, main reasons why the Rams lost that football game. If he doesn't get it together and change his ways, he's going to be the reason why the Rams, once again, are going to be home without a Super Bowl appearance. And it's about time we shut up with all the Matthew Stafford hype and start seeing some freaking results. McVeigh, you too. Stop, the, stop defending Stafford, thinking he could do no wrong in a post game, and start sitting up here. I'm not saying I have to throw him underneath the bus every, sing, every single, you know, a loss, every single loss, every single time he doesn't play well. But listen. Stop handling Stafford with kid gloves, okay? He's not Jesus. He, he He's not a man of perfection. He's not Brady. He's not Warner. He's not Mahomes. He's not Rodgers. He's not Herbert. He's not Burrow. All right? Cut the crap. Put up a shut-up time for Stafford, McVay, and the Rams. Defense and on offense. The only one, the only one that kind of gets a pass from this little rant right now is, uh, is Cooper Cup, who's been sensational. For the rest of you, you want to prove me wrong and get it together, and, and you can get it together and start getting it together. Come the Monday night game against Arizona, cause that, my friends, was an absolute disgrace. Seventeen nothing lead, and you guys crapped and and, and defecated all over yourself. Ruined McVeigh's little streak of 42 straight victories going into halftime with a lead. Not like that meant anything, but you get the idea. Take a break. We'll get to the Colts choking in Jacksonville. Coming up, this is the Amatelic at TIS Podcast. Welcome back to the I'm podcast. The third team th- in the third game in the third team, the third game that we're going to recap and the third team on a list of chokers from, uh, su- from uh, Sunday, from this past Sunday, is the Indianapolis Colts who got completely ambushed and just ran out of the building by, uh, b- by the Jacksonville Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is a I mean, how in the world you can blame you can blame Reich and I understand a letdown game like this. It, it de facto de facto it, it falls on a head coach for having his team not ready to play, taking their opponent for granted, underestimating their opponent, not being ready to play, not being buttoned up, polished, disciplined, whole nine yards. But uh, you know, and you blame the defense, you know, because Sherrill Lawrence played his best game so far as a pro. 23 of 32, 223 passing yards, two touchdowns, only got touched by a sack one time in the game. Marvin Jones had a nice afternoon. But, you know, can somebody, and the fact that the Colts' defense allowed Jacksonville in their opening possession to essentially uh, punch uh, punch the Colts in a proverbial face by putting together a 12th-place 75-yard touchdown drive so you know the defense, the defense and Reich take some takes some hits, and they're big time playmakers in the game did not show up in the in their biggest game. It ha- ended up being their la- their final, their last, and their final. But their biggest game of the season, I get that. But you know Carson Wentz. I mean, my goodness gracious. I mean, uh, uh, you want to talk about a, you uh, disappointing? I mean, here's the bottom line about Carson Wentz. You know, uh, a he got luck lo- a he he, he should. Thank the good Lord Jesus Christ that he was, even though they lost that game against Vegas the week before, he should thank the good in a game that he wasn't necessarily fantastic in that game either. It was all Jonathan Taylor as far as their offensive attack in that game as well, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, Carson Wentz, who who should thank the good Lord, That that he was allowed to play with the new COVID protocols, that he was allowed to play in the in the Vegas game the week before, after again he along with Kirk Cousins and a lot of other athletes were hell bent, you know, with the my body my choice bullcrap nonsense garbage that they tried to feed you, uh, you know, not selfishly not taking the vaccine, when his wife at the time was pregnant, he's got a young daughter wandering around all over the house. And he's you know going in and out of the house. Not this, uh, Don't even get me started with that. But he won vaccinated got COVID. Fortunate and, and and blessed, truly blessed that he didn't miss a game. Uh, even though they even though the Colts didn't end up losing anyway. Then it's a do or die game against Jacksonville. I told you all last week, last last week, and you heard it nine thousand times that the Colts had not beaten had not beaten the Jaguars. In Jacksonville since 2014, long time ago. It 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 feels like and it seems like at this point. And what do the Colts do? They allow Trevor Lawrence to put together a a effective 75 yard 12th play drive, and their offensive Carson Wentz vomits all over himself and 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 goes about the uh, goes about the afternoon not being able to do a damn thing. I mean it card the 17 or 29 threw a bonehead asinine interception, uh, got sacked six times. A lot of whom, in my honest opinion, because he held on to the ball way too freaking long, made no plays and and was and what was and ended up being, in my humble opinion, the Colts' primary reason why they lost the game. Jonathan Taylor, the holes are not there for Jonathan Taylor only had 77 yards on 15 carries you know it was it wasn't his afternoon for him to you know essentially put the colts on his back in spite of Wentz's subpar play which low key which low key was you know was getting overlooked he played he played well in the cardinal game on christmas night but outside of the cardinal game on christmas night the last couple of games you look at Wentz he you know he in spite of Jonathan Taylor's phenomenal performances he had not played well he was he was absolutely abysmal against the Patriots on the 18th He was, he was five five of 12 57 yards passing was not was bad in the Patriot game but uh, you know by all accounts he was 16 of 27 through for 148 was did not you know carry his team as, as well as he should have in the Raider game the week the week prior. He was okay. I against Houston in their thirty-one to nothing shutout victory back on December the back on December the fifth. He wasn't. He was. He was uh, far from perfect in their in their loss against Tampa thirty-one. Excuse me, thirty-eight, thirty-one November the twenty-eighth. I mean, he has not exactly put together the last couple of games. a a performance to be proud of. And he goes out there Sunday, 17-29, 185, gets sacked six times, throws the the interception, puts up a QBR of 4.4. I mean, Carson Wentz, I mean, seriously, when he got the break of all time, when, when he when he got the break of all time the week before because he was allowed to play in the Raider game prior, and he didn't make enough plays with his arm to uh to to put the Colts in a situation to put them out in front and win a, and win a football game I mean that law lo- yes, it falls on the defense because the defense got ambushed on the Jaguars' opening possession. Yes, it falls on Frank Wright because he's the head coach and he's the head guy, and it looks bad on his resume it looks bad. On his part, but Carson Wentz has got to wear a lot of that loss. He 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 did nothing, Abs- in spite of the fact that the defense was asleep at the wheel. On in spite of the fact that Jonathan Taylor, you know, picked the, one of the worst times and picked one of the worst games for him not to have, uh, for him not to have his best game of the season. In spite of the fact that the you know that the holes and the gaps were not there for the Indianapolis as far as their running game is concerned. In spite of all of that. You know, the championship quarterbacks that are making the big-time money, the all-pro, Pro Bowl, future Hall of Fame quarterbacks that are making the big bucks in spite of what goes on around them, their piss-poor defense, coach that having a team ready to play, run game not working, the great quarterbacks, the truly great quarterbacks, in spite of all of that, put their team... On their back and carries them the victory. Come hell to high water, you see it. You saw it with Russell Wilson many a times over the last couple of seasons in Seattle. You see, you saw it with Brady in the latter years of of his of his tenure with the Patriots. You've seen it the last couple of weeks when the with the Antonio Brown mess and no Chris Godwin in the games that they had no Gronk earlier this season. You, you've seen it with Brady and the Bucks. You've seen it with uh, you saw it with uh, with the Packers. With excuse me, with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers when he had a when he, when his defense was one of the worst in the sport and uh, and and his coaching was less than ideal. I mean you, you've Lamar Jackson when his team when he had no no Gus Edwards, no J.K. Dobbins right from the get go, inconsistent Hollywood Brown. He still found a way to make plays and put his team on his on his back and found a way to to make plays and, and to win games and games that Baltimore had to have earlier in the season. Joe Burrow with a subpar offense, with a subpar offensive line. I mean, I mean, I can give you many, many, many of examples. Hell, I just got finished screaming and yelling about how Herbert put his team on his back and and converted on not one but two fourth and longs to keep the trip to keep the Chargers in the game when Brandon Staley and his and his pathetic run defense was was screwing Herbert over left and right. The good quarterbacks. The great quarterbacks that 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 want to consider themselves elite and want to consider themselves worthy enough of getting paid the big bucks, they find a ways to make plays in spite of what's going on around them. Bad coaching, lack of a run, lack of a run game, or the fact that the running back just doesn't have it the day. Bad defense, in spite of all of that, the truly great quarterbacks that are getting paid the big bucks, as Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz is and he got traded and the Colts gave up a first round pick to get him. You get you got you got to give me better than what you did on Sunday. You've seen it. Now, not every time does it result in a Super Bowl, but I'm talking about individual games. You've seen it from Brady, you've seen it from Rodgers, you've seen it from Russell Wilson. You saw it Sunday night with Herbert against the Raiders with his Chargers. You've seen it all season long with Burrow. You've seen it with Lamar Jackson this season. You've seen it. Carson Wentz, not the case. You've seen it and in some points and times during this period where Derrick Henry's been out with Ryan Tannehill. You've seen it. Carson Wentz getting paid the big bucks. Colts gave up a first-round pick to get him. No excuses, no excuses, and he's got to wear a lot. A lot of this loss, the respons- the majority of responsibility of this loss falls on him. Made no plays, held on to held on to the ball way too freaking long. The Colts had ten consecutive offensive drives, without with you know, resulting in a total of three points dating back to the Raider game the the week before. Embarrassing. For for Carson Wentz, the Colts, Frank Reich, and the member of the Indianapolis Colts organization. You cannot, under any circumstances, win in your in playoff scenario, week eighteen, final weekend of the regular season, and get ambushed by one of the worst teams in the sport, who's going to have the number one overall pick in the draft. That that is completely, completely unacceptable. Period. Take a break, give you my two cents on Brian Flores to close out the show. Back after this. Welcome back to the I'm um, TIES podcast. One quick order of business that uh, I want to get to before we say good night, say goodbye is uh, the fact that Brian Flores, during Black Monday, which of course is the day, is the Monday, the day after the NFL regular season concludes, and all the coaches slash GMs that are on the hot seat, you know, get the pink slip and get shown the door. Uh, That Monday morning after the uh, NFL regular season ends. And a surprising revelation took place in the fact that uh, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores, was shown the door by owner uh, Stephen Ross and their GM, who was just a complete and utter buffoon. Putting together that garbage roster that they have created. I mean, outside of really Gasecki and Jalen Waddle, the wide receiver out of uh, Alabama. I mean, there's not exactly a whole hell of a lot to uh, love with as, as when it comes to the Miami Dolphins offense. Chris Greer, that's his name. Uh, got you know, he stays. Brian Flores goes. Um, and this is also, mind you. Now, granted, they did not finish above five. They did not. As a matter of fact, let me get their record out just to make sure I'm accurate here for you. Um, but they fired Brian Flores on. Um, they fired Brian Flores on Monday, which I find, in my honest opinion, an absolute and utter disgrace. How in the world do you fire Brian Flores? They finished, they, they went, They the Dolphins went back-to-back seasons. Back-to-back seasons. They, the, the, the Jets can't say that. The, the Texans, the Jaguars can't say that. They, they, they went back-to-back seasons with a 500 record or better. They went 10-6 and six in 2020 and 9-8 and in 2021. Brian Flores, I believe, I believe, He went. Matter of fact, let me get. Let me make sure I'm accurate here. Um, I believe he went. uh, What, three and one, in his tenure against the New England Patriots. Because I know. Because here's the bottom line about Brian Flores that that uh, that that speaks among itself. The Dolphins won eight out of their last nine games. For a point for a period of time, for a period of time, the Dolphins held the seventh seed when they beat the Saints and proved eight and seven. The Dolphins held the seventh seed in the AFC. They started one and seven and finished the season nine and eight. If that isn't he finished twenty four and twenty-five with Miami as their head coach. If that doesn't speak the good coaching and the fact, and it doesn't prove and doesn't and doesn't prove to you that Brian Flores is at least a good coach, a competent coach that's on the come up, I don't know what does. He went four and two against his old protege and Bill Belichick in New England, who, by the way, he had to play twice every single season. twice okay twice and when 2 and0 against Belichick this season beat him week one in Foxborough and beat them last game in the regular season in a game that the Patriots needed for them to win the division and playoff seeding. Went two and zero against the Patriots this season. Swept them, week eighteen, week one. Four and two in his three seasons against the Patriots. Started one and seven. Went on a seven game win streak. Beat the Saints on Monday Night Football to temporarily have control of the seventh seventh and final playoff spot in the AFC, heading into Week 17, when 8 of 9 and Brian Flores get shown the door, when Chris Greer, the idiot, the dope, a drafted Tua, who I'm really not even sure if he's any good, when they had the opportunity to draft Herbert, who, by the way, Flores wanted, Your offensive line is not good. And outside of Gisecki, you your tight end, and Waller, your wide receiver out of Alabama, you really don't have a whole hell of a lot to work with as far as your offensive firepower is concerned. That's the GM. His, that's his responsibility scouting, free agency signings, the draft, trades. That's his bailiwick. Flores can suggest who he wants. But Greer makes the final decision because he's the GM. He's the one that wanted and drafted Tua and passed over the elite Herbert. Flores wanted Herbert. And Flores was right. And in spite of all of that, he beats the Patriots. He puts since last season, he's put out a competitive product on the field. This team plays hard for him. This team has guts. This team has grit. They are they're one of the best defense, at least in the second half of this season, they're one of the best defensive teams in football. Last year in 2020, they one of the best defensive teams in football. were literally, uh, again, you can look it up. Literally, and I'm not engaging in hyperbole when I say this they were a they were a positive covid test from Ryan Fitzpatrick away if Ryan Fitzpatrick does not test positive for the rona the night before their week 17 game against the buffalo bills who didn't need the game who was playing well and had that heroic game against the raiders the 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 day after christmas in vegas how that crazy that if he does not test positive for covid the the Miami Dolphins make the playoffs as a wild card seed. They went ten and six and missed the postseason. Brian Flores 9-8 because the one and seven started putting up behind the eight ball. They still, week 16 of the season, they held a playoff spot. Now, horrendous loss. It all was for nothing. Couldn't afford to lose the rest of the season, and they got destroyed by the Titans in Week 17 the following week. But they went into that game holding the seventh and final playoff spot, overcoming a 1-7 record. Again, other teams, other coaches, they waved the white flag. You're throwing the towel. It's like, oh, guys, it ain't our season. Throw in the towel. We'll play for next year. Where next year will be our year. Flores didn't do that. The team played hard for them. Didn't put up on any of their crap. And they went out there and busted their ass, won seven games in a row, and got to 8-7. and Not to mention, they beat the Ravens on national TV to do it. They beat the Saints on Monday Night Football to do it. And they also swept the New England Patriots, who last time I checked, won 10 games this season and are a playoff team. Miami Dolphins... Having done a damn thing under Stephen Ross's leadership as owner of the franchise, Chris Greer is the reason why the team has a piss poor offensive line. Chris Greer drafted to attack Valoa and passed up on Justin Herbert. So why in the world does Chris Greer get to keep his job and Brian Flores gets thrown to the wolves? I don't understand that. I have a reason why. I I, I have a reason. I have a theory as to why Greer the GM stayed put and Flores got thrown to the wolves despite his nine and season. I have an idea why. If you guys are paying attention and are catching my drift and are picking up what I'm putting down, I'm pretty sure you can you can if 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 you are if you have enough self awareness and know what's paying attention uh, you know paying attention to your surroundings, you can put two and two together and get what I'm getting at. Jim Caldwell, plus five hundred season, won nine ten games. Lions threw him out the pasture. Ain't no secret why they stunk, and the coach they brought him to to replace him was a complete and utter stooge and waste of time. Chicago Bears, same thing. Lovey Smith, ten and six record, threw him out to the Wolves to replace him with incompetent hacks and Mark Tressman and 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 Matt Nagy. Who's a, who's a joke and a waste of my damn time as a head coach of the Chicago Bears, get Mad Nagy and his Bears the hell off my TV. Greer stays. Flores gets thrown to the pasture. Really? Uh, and Greer, Ross and the Dolphins organization are really lucky that Joe Judge ended up getting fired. Really lucky. Because if he would have stayed, I would have had quite a few things to say to Ross, his owner's constituency, and this entire process altogether. Because it's a big enough disgrace that Joe Judge, who didn't do a damn thing, didn't win a damn thing, with the New York football Giants, Kept his job for about seventeen hours longer than Brian Flores did. And Joe Judge didn't do anything with the Giants. But embarrass the fans, embarrass the organization, and make a fool of himself. Was Brian Flores a lovey dovey type? No. Was he embraceable? Was he quote unquote likeable in a sense of Dan, that Dan Campbell is with the Lions? No. I didn't I didn't call him the black Bill Belichick just by happenstance. He's not a lovable, warm and fuzzy kind of guy. But you know what? And I understand. Brian Flores is not Don Shula. I get that. He's not Don Shula, he's not Bill Belichick. But for his first little coaching gig that he's had with the Dolphins did a damn good job. Didn't make the playoffs, didn't win any playoff games. But 10-6, 9-8, and, 6, 9 and 8, considering what he had to deal with, owner doesn't know what the heck he's doing, garbage offensive line, dealing with the quarterback that he didn't want to draft, that his boss and Chris Greer hell bent on getting. You know what? Kudos to him. And Brian Flores, I hope, I hope and I pray to God, Brian Flores gets, gets a job in a heartbeat. The Giants should look into getting him. The Vikings should look into hiring him. The Bears should look into hiring him. Because not only is he a good coach, he's going to improve your defense. He's also going to bring about a culture change. And that's why, in my honest opinion, he's a perfect fit for the Giants and the Bears. Perfect fit. He's what they need. And if not, some team that's that's desperate for a defensive coordinator, whether it be the Chargers with their god-awful defense, the Rams and their mid-defense, pick up the phone. You need a head coach, you need a defensive coordinator for 2022 and beyond. Pick up the phone and, and, and get Flores because he actually is a Bill Belichick disciple that looks like, if given enough opportunities, and that is the key, and that's something that, that can be a totally different argument, and I'd be sitting here for three hours talking about it. He, he looks like he's going to be a guy that, if given enough opportunities, is going to be a damn good NFL head coach. For what he had to deal with, what he had to work with, did a very, very, very good job. I respect and I love the hell out of Brian Flores. Hope hope he gets back on his feet and finds himself another head coaching job. Because what the Dolphins did to him was an absolute disgrace. I have an idea. I have a theory of why it happened and how it happened and why he got thrown out to the Wolves and Chris Greer didn't. But if I really went deep into that, you'd be sitting here for the next three hours because I'm only scratching the surface with this. I think it goes a little bit deeper into why Brian Flores got given the pink slip on Monday and Chris Greer, the incompetent Chris Greer, his ass got saved and Brian Flores got shown the door. But again, that's another discussion for another day, another time, and another show. I just hope the brother gets another job again. He should be employed. Lovey Smith should be employed. Marvin Lewis should be employed. Jim Caldwell should be employed. All four of those brothers deserve another opportunity and are a lot better than the garbage piece of crap coaches I done seen running up and gyrating up and down these NFL sidelines the last couple of years. Matt Nagy, <clears throat> Matt, Matt Nagy Matt Patricia Urban Meyer Joe Judge Shall I continue Vic Fangio outside of the fact that that the that the Broncos were a respectable defensive team under him Jason Garrett Bill O'Brien Shall I continue Disgraceful. Anyway, had to get that off my chest. Another episode of the Amitalka TIS Podcast in the books. I will talk to you guys on Friday to preview Wild Card Weekend, opening weekend of the 2021 NFL playoffs. News to the program, please subscribe if you haven't already. Share with your friends and family, greatly appreciate it. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. The show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast. Show on Twitter at, at and the show is, sorry, screwed up about the song. and the show on Twitter at tell underscore it T I S. It is your boy Jay Shields. I will talk to you on Friday. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See ya. By the way, cut the music right quick, JT. By the way, the Dolphins, since week nine, when their little win streak took off, they were they had the best tied for the best winning percentage in the sport, most sacks in the sport, fewest touchdown passes allowed in the sport, and second best in yards allowed. Dolphins ranks within the National Football League since week nine just thought i throw that out there just thought i throw that out there take it JT see you